Hey, soccer fans, welcome back to the Feed the Fire podcast. We are talking the Chicago Fire tonight, making MLS moves. The offseason has begun for them. They have roster announcements. They have a transfer, and we have some transfer speculation as well. Are we going to be losing a player to Europe sometime soon? Hmm, stay tuned and we'll let you know. We are also going to hear from our good friend and featured guest, John Donovan, his takes on the state of MLS, the MLS playoffs, as well as Mansueto's tenure as owner of the Fire so far. And we're going to wrap up the show looking at the MLS Cup playoffs conference final matchups. So stay tuned, and we're going to have a lot of fun breaking all this down. Welcome back, Fire fans. Again, I am Nick, your host here on the Feed the Fire podcast. And as I mentioned before that, Sweet little intro music. We are going to start off by looking at the Chicago Fire roster decisions and their first transfer of the offseason here as the playoffs continue on. And we're going to kind of analyze what you think, what I think, maybe what we all as fans think, uh, how these moves are going and what the roster is going to look like a little bit in the future. Uh, but I do have to wish everyone, I hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. I hope you're enjoying the kickoff to the holiday season. And plus you consider Halloween the kickoff to your ho- holiday season, which is fine. I was actually able to get all of my uh, Christmas lights up this weekend, rake up all the leaves and clear the branches, clean off the deck, and then it snowed the very next day. So getting in just under the wire, there is nothing like a deadline to get a lawyer motivated. That's for sure. Uh, So getting back to the Chicago Fire now, Uh, this is their November 22nd announcement regarding their roster. And I'm sure a lot of people have read and formed their opinions on it, but it came out right after we recorded our last episode. So I want to make sure we touch on it here. Here is the announcement. The Fire have exercised the 2024 contract options for goalkeepers Jeff Gall and Spencer Ritchie. I'm not sure if it's Gall or Hall, so I just pronounced it right in the middle. Gall, right? Um, Also exercise the options for defenders Jonathan Dean and Wyatt Olmsberg and midfielder Fabian Herbers. So that's the first part of their announcement. And overall, I think the way the Fire handled their roster moves, postseason roster moves, is kind of what I wanted and kind of what we all expected, right? Uh, You know you've got Chris Brady as your starting keeper. He is still under contract, and we'll get to all those guys under contract later on. Uh, And he may be transferred out in the next year or two, depending on what offers come with him. And, of course, the Fire got a big sum for Gaga Slonina last year from Chelsea, and I don't know if a team is going to come and match that for a goalkeeping prospect. It did seem a little high, even even with Chelsea's pocketbooks and even with the promise of Gagos Lanina. Uh, but if someone does come with the $10 million offer for Brady, well, it would, I, if I'm the Chicago Fire, I'd be hard-pressed to pass it up. So it's kind of a no-brainer to have Gall and Richie continue on as your backup keepers here. Richie got some starts throughout the season, played really well on it. He is a reliable MLS veteran Keeper, Jeff Gall, played, which Scandinavian country? Was he over in Norway, Denmark, Sweden? I forget, but he had played a large chunk of his career there. But he's a local guy. He's from the Chicago suburbs originally. So having him back 
here in Chicago, the fire are able to probably get, I don't want to call it a hometown discount because I would imagine if you're a third string goalkeeper, you're going to take as much money as you can get. But hey, maybe he likes being and living in Chicago and is happy to continue to apply his trade uh, with his hometown club. So we've got good goalkeeping decisions and plans here. We kind of expected that. And worst case scenario, usually, at least in the United States, goalkeeper is a position that you can find a decent keeper pretty quickly or pretty close by. Now, looking at the defenders, they picked up the options on Jonathan Dean and Wyatt Olmsberg. And, and these are no-brainers to me. I have been a huge fan of Wyatt Olmsberg since the 2022 season, especially when he came in when Carlos Tehran went down and there was no drop-off in production or performance from the back line. In fact, he was probably the best defender in 2022 between him and Chihos. So Olmsberg definitely earned himself first-team minutes, first-team contract, and should have been the starter into this season and was as a result of Tehran being injured to begin the season. Uh, but we saw him kind of get stuck in CF2 limbo. Is he a first-teamer? Is he a second-teamer? Like he would dress for the first team, play with the second team. I just think that comes down to the mismanagement of these multiple rosters by the front office and by the coaching staff. They don't have the experience to do it, and they didn't have any institutional memory or history of doing this. Now you've got this fairly decent CF2 team producing some talent for you, and they just don't know how to manage it. Um, we saw them try to bring Kendall Burks into the mix, and and in my opinion, Burks had the starts that Olmsberg should have been getting and maybe maybe the Chicago Fire save two or three points as a result of that and if you make a little bit of a better decision on your defense make a little bit of a better decision on where you're playing your strikers or who you're playing for your strikers figure out you know one two and three points in each of those decisions and yeah the Chicago Fire aren't fighting for playoff wildcard berth the last day of the season but anyway, we're talking about the roster moves here. Wyatt Olmsberg definitely is an MLS caliber defender. He is reliable. He is solid. He doesn't take any crazy chances or risks. His temper is under control. We don't see those wild yellow cards or flare-ups that we have seen with Carlos Tehran on occasion, with Miguel Navarro on occasion, uh, with Fede Navarro on occasion. Um, he is cool, calm, collected, reliable, and pairs very well with Rafa Chihos, like a fine wine. He pairs very well with Rafa Chihos. Jonathan Dean absolutely proved himself. No, he is not a star in MLS. And, and that's what I think people get caught up in is that, oh, he's not setting the world on fire. We can go out and get any other defender who's equal to or better than that. But here's the thing. They didn't. They got Jonathan Dean. They asked him to do his job, and he did his job. He beat out transfer in from League Un. He beat out Arnaud Souquet by the end of the season. Now, you can say whether that's because they needed him playing more defensively and CK was more of an attacking player. Maybe. But the fact of the matter remains, the guy who was playing in college five years ago is now the starting right back for the Chicago Fire, picked up his option. And honestly, if you want to add in the business aspect of this roster decision, that's just great value. And maybe those kind of signings are the reason that Mansueto extended Heights and Pelzer. Additionally, they picked up the option on Fabian Herbers, and I think most people that I have talked to and most of the reactions I see are that everybody really likes Fabian Herbers, but he cannot be a starter if your team is competing for trophies. He is the first guy off the bench, whether you need him on the wing, centrally, 
or, you know, even playing a little defensive midfield. Uh, he is that kind of guy. Absolutely useful and valuable on a team, uh, but not should not be relied upon as a week-in and week-out starter and as someone who's going to have to contribute to the score sheet. Good move here. I think these are all good moves. Wise business moves, good soccer moves. Continuing on with the announcement. Additionally, the Fire have exercised the option to purchase midfielder Marin Haile Selassie from FC Lugano and are in discussions with homegrown midfielder Javier Casas Jr. about a return to the club in 2024. Let me pause right there. No-brainer to sign MHS. No-brainer to sign Marin Haile Selassie. First of all, he had six goals, your highest goal scorer on the season. So, again, admittedly, it's a low bar, but still, he was always a threat, always getting into dangerous areas. You could see his movement off the ball. He's he's a winger. He starts out wide, but as the play would progress, as the ball would get kind of pushed towards the middle instead of, say, a swooping Miguel Navarro cross in, when you saw Gutierrez or Shakiri or Kutsius even picking the ball up and driving in towards the box, you saw Haile Selassie would start his run outside and come inside, find some good spaces, go back and look at him and uh, – it wasn't the Montreal game, I don't believe. Uh, but go back and look at some of his goals this season. There's only six. It won't take you that long to find them. Uh, and you'll see how his movement gets in between the gaps in the defense, and he's able to find the back of the net. Plus, he's got a quick trigger. He will not hesitate when he gets the ball inside that box to let fly from either foot. So that is phenomenal about him. So glad they're bringing him back next year, and hopefully he continue his chemistry with some of the guys in the midfield. Javi Casas Jr., I don't know too much about him other than he was a standout with CF2. Uh, he did suit up for some of the first team games, didn't see any minutes, if I recall. Uh, and the fact that they are continuing conversations with him does show that they like him, that he might have a role with this team in the next couple years, uh, even if it is just as a backup, even if it is just to eat minutes when they're playing Leagues Cup games and U.S. Open Cup games, and MLS games, and whatever else is going on, or even to eat up some minutes when, say, Brian Gutierrez is out on youth national team or national team duty, or Shakiri is out on national team duty. Maybe Martin Haile Selassie might get a call to Switzerland in the near future. So to be able to have uh, someone like Javi Casas Jr., who's been part of the, the organization now for a couple of years, um, getting the deal done and keeping him, hopefully, uh, it's a depth. It's definitely a depth move. If he does not work out a new deal with the Chicago Fire, I, it's not a huge loss from a contribution standpoint because he he didn't do anything with the first team this season. But now you have to go out and scout and search and sign someone outside your organization, and you you won't get that homegrown discount if anyone is you know above a certain pay level or experience level. Continuing on with the announcement, Chicago also announced today that it's declined the 2024 contract options for defender Kendall Burks and homegrown midfielders Alex Moniz and Alan Rodriguez or Alan Rodriguez. Kendall Burks, to me, no brainer. He had a run of games in MLS with the first team and looked lost. Not only did he not know where he was supposed to be on the field, which is partly his fault and partly the Chicago Fires and organization not. Again, how do you work a senior team and an academy team to teach the same principles? They were not on the same page. But he also just could not match up with the skill level of these attacking MLS players. And we saw him get beat over and over again. So to me, that, that's a no-brainer. 
maybe he ends up playing in USL for a couple more years. Maybe he ends up getting on some other academy team and developing a little. Maybe if he gets a little bigger and stronger, it's a different story. But from what we saw this season, to me, this was the right move. Uh, it's unfortunate that Alex Moniz and Alan Rodriguez are gone. These are two guys who have gotten a really big fan following Moniz getting a goal at the end of last season, the 2022 season, uh, with the fire first team, but then never really finding it. And I feel for these guys because the coaching staff and the front office has been such in flux this year, as well as a lot of the other starters have been in flux that they just couldn't get a look. And when the Chicago fire are desperate for points and trying to get just enough points to squeeze into the playoffs, it's guys like Moniz and Rodriguez and Casas who are not going to be getting, getting the looks in favor of, you know, quote unquote, pen wrote in pen starters here. So wishing them the best of luck. I'm sure these guys are going to find their way either onto another uh, MLS next pro team or USL team without a doubt. Go continuing on the loans for defender Alonzo Aceves and midfielder Usman Dumbia expire at the end of the year and the club has declined their transfer options. Additionally, forward Kai Kamara is out of contract and has not been offered a new deal for the 2024 season. We pause there. Uh, these, to me, again, no-brainers, totally expected. Alonzo Aceves couldn't impress the coaching staff when he did get in into the games. He could not cut it in Major League Soccer. It was almost like this was a vacation to him, but kind of like a reverse vacation where he still had to work and it was in a colder climate than what he's used to. Uh, I, he just he didn't look like he was present mentally there, and partly because of that and just because of where he has at developmentally, he couldn't cut it in MLS. And actually, it's funny because we're seeing some of these Liga MX guys who aren't able to hang in Major League Soccer. And John Donovan is going to have a comment about how he thinks the MLS has surpassed Liga MX when we get to his segment later. Usman Dumbia, we all knew that was a short-term signing, short-term DP. He Had he played better, maybe the fire move on from Fede Navarro, sign him, and then next season address another defensive midfielder position or move on from Gaston Jimenez or something like that, try and have some depth here. Uh, but the fact is they've got Mauricio Pineda, who they just signed to an extension, and Usman Dumia did not produce, did not impress, and just did not fit. He just looked out of place. Uh, and, again, from a transfer in from sister club Lugano, you, you take you take the risk, especially where the fire were in the season. It wasn't going to get worse for them, put it that way. Um, so fully expected his option to be declined. Uh, Kai Kamara is out of contract. Fine with me. Um, you know, you can, you can love or hate Kai, but there's a reason why he's played on as many teams as he has and why, despite his consistent scoring, nobody's ever signed him to an extended period of time. He did not produce for the fire. He looked his age this year, uh, and apparently did not get along well in the locker room either. So, uh, he says he's going to play again next season. There's probably going to be some desperate MLS team that's going to get pulled in by his charm and his agent, and who knows if they'll be regretting it come this time next year. Continuing on with the announcement here, the following players remain under guaranteed contract for the 2024 MLS season. Goalkeeper Chris Brady, which we talked about, obvious. Defenders Rafael Chijos, Miguel Navarro, Justin Reynolds, Arno Suke, and Carlos Tehran. So I'm glad to see Chihos back. He's going to need to be rotated. I think we saw him start to get a little gassed 
maybe that was just the minutes piling up uh, over the last two years coming in from uh, from the Bundesliga, I believe, and then going right into MLS. Maybe it's just the, the travel and the style of play here in MLS, or maybe he was just having to do too much work and on offense and defense. I mean, when he's the first choice of, of an you know back post header, you really got to question your offensive game plan and your offensive skills and talent. Uh, but I, I, I think he needs to get a little bit more rest. We can't rely on him to go 90 every game this season. Uh, Miguel Navarro, you bring him back because he's under contract and he's he's an okay MLS defender. He makes those stupid plays, as we saw against Charlotte, when he can't keep his temper under control. Capetti gets under his skin, and then he just hacks him, trips him in the box, clear his day penalty, pro, you know, red card. If, if it wasn't his second yellow, it, it should have been a straight red because he just goes and kicks his legs out from under him. Um but anyway, we're digressing to a lot of that. But he's there. He's going to be there. He's probably going to be your penciled-in starter at this point unless they do go out and sign anyone uh, as an outside back. You've got Justin Reynolds. You've got Arnosuke. I don't know if Suke can play on the left side if he's that effective. But since he's not the guy who's going to be crossing, maybe you do keep him, put him out on the left side. And we see Suke and Dean to start the season as the outside backs, and they work a little bit more possession than just Navarro running down the flank, launching a cross in, tripping other players. Uh, defender midfielder Mauricio Pineda still under contract. We talked about his extension. Midfielders Gaston Jimenez, Brian Gutierrez, Chris Mueller, Federico Navarro, Sergio Orahel Jr., Jordan Shakiri, and Jairo Torres. These guys are all under contract. I wouldn't expect to see any sort of movement with any of these guys, with the exception of Jairo Torres. He should be gone. He should be traded, moved, transferred, bought out, whatever it is. He has been a complete bust of a signing, a waste of a DP spot, a waste of a, of a young under-22 spot. Not worth it. Uh, also under contract, forwards Victor Bezerra, Yorgos Kutsias, Casper Shabilko, and Misael Rodriguez. I think you got to get rid of Shabilko, and with this new signing we're going to talk about, who is a striker, Tom Barlow coming in from Red Bulls. Uh, there's no room on this roster for Shabilko. I expect him to be gone prior to the beginning of the season, whether they transfer him and just try to get something for him, a bag of balls, if it's that, if that's what it's going to take to save a couple dollars on training materials. I don't know. Uh, but he does need to be gone prior to the start of the season, prior to roster compliance. I'd love to see Victor Bezerra get some real first-team minutes. Uh, he was excelling with the second team in 2021, injury-plagued, I'm sorry, in 2022, injury plagued this season. Uh, I'd love to see him recover and get back up there. And Missiel Rodriguez, again, a kind of homegrown development piece. Maybe he has a couple games or he can look good and you can end up transferring him uh, to another MLS club or to USL team, to, you know, maybe some other small league in in the Americas or Europe and, and maybe make some money off of that sale. But there's nothing I've seen from Michelle Rodriguez that thinks he's going to be a starter in MLS, at least at this point. It could be two, three, four years. He's still very, very young, homegrown, and you might develop him to come up after Kutsius or with Kutsius. So nothing crazy as far as the decisions that the front office made. Everything we kind of expected and wanted to see. The one thing they got to take into account now is Carlos Turan had made a recent comment uh, that he wants to go play in Europe, and that's been his dream. Now, that's not a shocking comment, 
lots of players say it, especially the South American players like Tehran coming to the MLS to get a little bit more exposure, to get a little bit more quality of opponent, and then make the jump. He's he said he wants to go. We've expected him to go. This shouldn't shock us as fans. And I think as fans, we've always been preparing for his departure. I just hope the front office has also been preparing for his departure as well. Maybe that's the, the extension of, or the picking up the option of Olmsberg and extending Pineda, and then maybe trying to go out and sign another center back within the next year or so. Now, Tehran just turned 23 in September. For his positive qualities, he's big. He is physical. He is an aerial presence on offense and defense. Got to work on on a little bit on offense. And if he can start turning some of those headers on frame, he'll be a huge asset. Uh, and he re- he's improved reading the game, I think, over this season, when to step up, when to hang back. Uh, we've seen the entire Chicago Fire defense usually get caught backpedaling. And so that's something that he's got to work on. Uh, but that's communication with his teammates more so. Uh, but he's also really benefited from playing with Rafa Chihos. I think having that experienced center back, a guy who's played in the Bundesliga, a guy who's played in Europe, really helps uh, Tehran develop those kind of reading the game, when to step, when to step back, when to rotate. And those are the things he needs to continue working on, not just being more accurate with his passes, because he's got the leg to be a great passer. He's got to be more accurate with it and understand when to play it short, when to play it long. But working with Chihos, hopefully he develops a better understanding of when to rotate defensively, when to shift, when to step up, and also just keeping his temper under control. That was one thing that Ezra could not get him to do. It was one thing Klopas could not get him to do. The only one who could help Tehran stay under control was Chihos. And we saw it in games where Chihos was subbed out or was not playing is usually when Tehran would lose his cool. If he has a solid solid start to the season, I could see him moving to a mid-table top flight team for, you know, maybe a six to seven million dollar transfer fee. But if they are in a hurry to move him or they get a good offer coming in this winter transfer window for say maybe three, four million, even if it's not a top five European league, I would say the fire would take it. I think they would. I think they should. If you can get three or four million for a young center back absolutely put in and insist upon a large sell-on percentage because give him, let's just say he goes to Portugal, Belgium, Denmark, Norway. Uh, Let's say he ends up maybe, I I wouldn't say the, the Polish league or the Turkish league or the Russian league. They haven't really been too big of buyers from uh, major league soccer, but you know, if he, if he ends up, um, in some of those kind of developing European star developing kind of leagues, uh, we could see a really, really big sell on and the fire could benefit from that. So if they want to move them this winter, I would imagine, you know, they're getting offers from three, four, maybe 5 million. Uh, but if they end up keeping, if they're not getting those kind of numbers and they keep them and he gets off to a good start with the fire, I'd love to see six, seven, hey, maybe eight, 9 million. If he can start scoring a couple goals. Now, the other transfer, no longer rumor, no longer report, but transfer fact, Tom Barlow, there's a deal in place for Chicago Fire to acquire him from New York Red Bulls. Of course, the official transfer window doesn't open until December, what day is it? The 11th, maybe? Um, But the deal has been put in place. 
Uh, he's acquired from Red Bull New York for 250000 in general allocation money in GAM and up to another 150000 in GAM based on performance incentives. And I've maybe it's the lawyer in me. Maybe it's just the apathy of being a fire fan. I am just so tepid, just so lukewarm, just so bleh about this transfer in. And, and I'll give you both sides of it, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I am not really moved by this. He's a 28-year-old striker who doesn't score goals. Like, that's the, that's the negative scouting about it. He's had five seasons with Red Bulls, has a total of 14 goals. So this signing really doesn't do anything to raise the level of Chicago Fire's talent and play. Also, we know he's played in the Red Bull system. He is a is very much a product of the Red Bull system. Pressing, 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 counter-pressing, 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 high tempo, high energy. How is that going to fit in with the Chicago Fire? Well, the rumor is that the, the finalists for the Chicago Fire's coaching job all signed off on this, or, or, or how could they not have signed off on saying, yeah, well, we can work with Tom Barlow which makes me think that they're interviewing a lot of internal candidates or MLS candidates instead of any international people. Cause they, I, I doubt a coach in Europe or South America is going to know who Tom Barlow is. Uh, so there's that. That's kind of the blah. This is the terrible move. I don't like it. He's a striker who doesn't score. And how is he going to fit in with this roster with how he's played for Red Bulls? But the positives for this move, and there are positives. Don't get me wrong. There's positives here. He's, he's an MLS vet. He has playoff experience. The only other person on the roster that's played in a playoff game for the Chicago Fire is Fabian Herbers, or who's just played in a playoff game. Casper Shabilko, I think, would be the second one. Fabian Herbers was, was on the team in 2017 with the Fire's last playoff berth, and then I think Shabilko is the only other player on this roster who could say they were in a playoff game. I don't think Chris Mueller ever made the playoffs, with with Orlando um and definitely nobody else has made it with the fire so there's that there's some playoff experience and he has scored actually five goals in four playoff appearances for Red Bulls he had three this year if if I recall the his MLS profile stat line correctly so playoff experience which the fire will need and not just playoff experience but the experience to know how to play to get there Red Bulls were never really, you know, running away with the Eastern Conference. They were always fighting for points. So hopefully he can bring some of that mentality to Chicago. Also, this is a cheap move. A lot of people are like, 400000 That's a lot for a throwaway player. Well, it's 250 up front, maybe another 150 in incentives. And if the incentives are goals, then you don't have to worry about him hitting those incentives. Uh, maybe there are minutes or games or starts or appearance incentives um, or just general production incentives. But even it at 400000 for a backup striker veteran MLS, not a not a big amount to spend. And it's in general allocation money, which has only been going up over the last several years. Also because player salaries and transfer fees have all been going up. So I saw a lot of people comparing these numbers to other strikers who've been transferred in recent years or other kind of backup backup strikers, so to say. Um, they're like, oh, we could have gotten them for 100000 No, those days are gone. The, the money, the value of these guys is going up. And you want that, though. You want that as a league. You want these guys who are fringe players, who are just 
kind of chess pieces moving around. Maybe they'll fit somewhere else. You want them, their value to go up. And that's exactly what's happening across the league. Also, this kind of fits with the plan that was supposed to be in place for this year with the strikers. You get a designated player striker star as your starter. You have a, a reliable veteran backup, and then you have your project, your developing striker. So this last year with the fire in 2023, they never got that DP striker. They had to settle for Kamara. Shabilko was supposed to be the reliable veteran backup. He severely underperformed. And then you have Kutsias as your development. If, if they like that plan, and it's a reasonable plan, if they want to stick with it, they're going to go out and sign the DP this offseason. They're going to have Barlow as their backup and Kutsias as the development. He'll be, he'll be competing with Bar Barlow for that backup role. And, hey, maybe you bring in Bezerra, Rodriguez for some of the tournament play or, you know, some if there's throwaway games late in the season, uh, training camp games, preseason games to see what they can bring. And, again, this likely means Casper Shabilko will be either bought out or transferred because why would you carry four guys who could fit as a starter in MLS? I don't understand. Again, I'm kind of lukewarm on all of this. Uh, the, the whole talk was that this is supposed to earn back some credibility for the Chicago Fire front office, that they're hitting or making these good intra-league moves here. But it's like the safest, lowest risk, and it doesn't move the needle at all in terms of the team's performance. So, honestly, it only just indicates that Heights and Peltzer are still alive and have access to Mansueto's checkbook. With that, we're going to come to our halftime break here. I want to remind everyone that the Feed the Fire podcast is brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear, Skira water comes from a spring in a government-protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content. This isn't your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it's one of the best. And you can go out and get yourself a bottle or three of Skira Icelandic Spring Water at your local 7-Eleven. And of course, as we come out of our halftime break, we're going to go right into the segment from our featured guest, John Donovan. He'll have his thoughts on the state of MLS of the postseason, as well as his takes on Joe Mansueto's tenure as primary owner, main owner, head honcho thus far. Take it away, John. Nick, John Donovan here wanting to talk about the MLS and the Chicago Fire. Nick, this has been a season that I really, in overall for the whole league, I have enjoyed. And one of the reasons I enjoyed the league was they sort of showed through this league's cup that they are an equal division or playing uh, league as the Mexican Professional League, which really is one of the top 10 teams in the in the world. So congratulations to the MLS. There's new owners, new excitement, new stadiums, new enthusiasm in almost every city in the United States. It's a very cool thing to watch. I'm sitting here, or I have been sitting this last two days watching um, some incredible soccer with Philadelphia and Cincinnati. Columbus, who I think might just pull out the whole thing. Um, tonight is Seattle, uh, LAFC. I mean, it really has turned into a great league and something I think that my grandkids will really enjoy. The coaching in the league has really turned on. I'm very impressed in the coaching. And honestly, in all honesty, the crowds are unbelievable to the days when we had the 
Kansas City Wizards and the Miami team and all that. It is literally a good league. One of the things I don't like about the league, I know everybody's hot about seeing Messi come in and so forth. I don't like seeing old players come in into the league. I like the youth. I like the speed. Um, I know that uh, the Miami team will be an interesting squad to travel around this year, but I still would prefer watching a team like Columbus play with a 24-year-old center forward, Cucho. I mean, I love that team. Rossi, fast, quick, very dynamic. That's what the league is turning into. But, you know, we're the, we're the fire broadcast, and this is not pretty news this year, Nick. We've talked a bit, and Joe Mansueto has, I, I tried to, or I started to count the amount of people that he has in his staff for this team. And my theory is, is if everybody that he hires brought five people to the game, they would probably outdraw the season ticket holders. Other than the Miami team, we are the lowest attendance team, or the Miami game, I'm sorry. We are the lowest attendance team in the league, and we deserve it. Um, we have gone back. I, it's hard to believe. I was looking back in Wikipedia, and the first year for our current disaster of a coach, Frank Klopas, was 2011. And that was the year of Marco Papa, C.J. Brown. Dominic Adoro was the, was the real hot player on the team. Not as much money spent, but bigger crowds. We were playing out at, um, in Bridgeview. And we attracted more people. It it was exciting. But today, a lot of money has spent by Mr. George Heinz and Sebastian Peltzer for the last four years. And we have gotten worse. I think we're up by one point or something to that effect. But the DPs uh, the last four years have been awful. Just awful. The performance of Mr. Heinz and Mr. Peltzer has been awful. Just awful. I mean, you look at the brilliance of Columbus, um, Portland, Philadelphia, working with their their um, academies and so forth. We haven't developed, other than before this administration came in, we had Pineda, we had some good academy players that obviously have moved on. We're not using any academy players. We're only using Peltzer's... Um, trades with Europe and a little bit of South America. But you can't, you know, we probably have the talent to make the playoffs, but our coaching has been awful. We have brought a man back. If he comes back again, it'll be his third time or fourth time around with the fire, Frank Klopas. And he has been involved with the squad since 2011. And he's been just awful. Um, there's nothing more that you can say. The only reason in my mind that Joe Mansueto is coming back with the same organization, Heinz, Peltzer, and maybe Klopas, is because he knows he's that Heinz and Peltzer has put him in a hole so deep that the only way he's going to get out of it is to play out some of these contracts. I mean, when you look at uh, Shakiri, I mean, he, just for the emotional level of the team, He's awful. He has not been a good representative of uh, a first division player. All I mean, he is 
nasty on the field. He's nasty to his own teammates. He just does not bring a lot of light to the team. Um, Torres, the other uh, DP that was brought in, has two more years on his uh, his his deal. I think Chakiri has one. Torres has two. Dumbia is coming off. But um, unless they buy out a DP contract, they are really stuck. Casper uh, Shabilko has two more years. It goes on and on with old contracts that don't add to the squad. And to come back with the same coaching as Mansueto has done, the only theory is um, he's been so successful in everything he's touched, but the only theory I can come out with, he knows he is screwed this year. And the only way he's going to maybe get out of it is add some 29, 27-year-old DP that he can put up front maybe if somebody, a coach, can figure out that center midfield and move Shakiri out of it, move uh, Gutierrez in there, or even better, Mahalovic, maybe he can make the playoffs. Um, you know, and, and on the Gutierrez thing, I know he's thought of so highly throughout the league, but, you know, I played a lot of soccer, and he, he's a decent player. He's a decent MLS player, but he is not a European player. He had two goals this year and whiffed on a lot of opportunities. I don't think he's an upper-level um, MLS player. I think he's a normal, run-of-the-mill player that has a good game and a lot of bad games. So, you know, Brady, another—I mean, he, I think he's a very good player. I think that we won't see much of Brady in the league. But this year's fire team, if they come back with Klopas— it's going to be the same thing. There's no reason in the world for anybody to buy a season ticket to the fire. They should hold off. If you feel like going down and seeing a Columbus, a Miami come in, or a Philadelphia, some of the good squads, go down and buy your tickets. You'll do a lot better. You might even get free tickets this year than buying a season ticket. It's not going to be a good year, folks. So, Nick, I don't have much good to say. I wish I wish our team was in the playoffs It'd be so much fun, but we've dug a hole, or Peltzer and Heinz have dug a hole that is going to take a long time to dig out. Um, Mike, I hope you're listening. Take care, guys. John, thank you again for your contribution, for your for your candid takes. I always appreciate hearing them. Um, hopefully, you're enjoying your holiday season as well. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving and are looking forward to the Christmas uh, and December holidays ahead of us. Um, I want to remind everyone, for those watching on YouTube, John Donovan's segments are exclusive to our podcast broadcast, so make sure you're following along on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of John's great takes. And by the way, not only is John an extremely successful businessman from Chicago who's been following the club since 97, he played professionally a few years down in Venezuela, so he's got a unique perspective on things. Now, to wrap up the show, we're going to go back to the league-wide take here, looking at the MLS Cup playoffs. We have the conference final matchups set. FC Cincinnati is hosting the Columbus Crew in the Eastern Conference Final. Cincinnati advancing past Philly and the Crew advancing past Orlando. And then in the Western Conference, we have LAFC hosting the Houston Dynamo. LAFC squeaked by Seattle and Houston squeaks by Kansas City by by the width of a hand, if you will. You know, in this in this conference 
semifinal round, I really thought we'd see a lot more goals. Um, I, I guess I'd forgotten about how KG MLS teams are going to be when it is a single elimination game. Uh, and it was very, very tight, uh, both tactically, both by the style of play. There were three games that resulted in a 1-0 victory, and then Cincinnati ended, or I'm sorry, Columbus ended up with a 2-0 victory uh, after Cujo had that, you know, pulled the goalie goal against Orlando there. So not a lot of goals. I was way off. I thought there'd be more offense on this one. Um, I also hope there would be a lot less controversy in the next rounds going forward. We don't want to see a team get in or win MLS Cup on a crazy VAR call with the handballs, dives that should have been given cards, VAR, all of that sort of thing. But I try to keep it into perspective because this is the new norm in global soccer. We wanted video-assisted referee. We wanted the video reviews. We got them. Usually, they get the right call, and that's really all we want, get the right call. But there are things that that the narrow rules of VAR are missing, or there are things that the VAR, the actual assistant referee watching it, um, aren't, aren't catching, and obviously, it's not being communicated to us, the fan. Now, we in MLS are kind of like a step behind the Premier League, I'll use that as the example here, because if you look at the uh, Cincinnati game, they get their goal. The player with the assist was offside on the initial ball being played in, or so people are saying. But you can't get the right angle because the camera's in the center of the pitch, and it's angled towards where the goal is, right around the 18-yard line or so, so, or where the players were there. So it's hard with that angled camera view to see who was on and who was off, and in England, they started doing the drawing the lines and shading the offside part, putting it on the big screen, getting descriptions out. It, it was almost like an NFL penalty call. You know, the referee's got to come holding on the defense, number 23, before the ball was thrown. Therefore, it is not pass interference, but a holding call. However, the ball was tipped. We picked up the flag. There's no, but like it you're starting to get to that point. And that's why you're starting to see like eight, nine, 10 minutes of stoppage time because it's taking forever to do a VAR, to do a review check. So be careful what you wish for MLS fans or we're going to end up like England. Let's just say more often than not, it's, it's working. And with VAR, you're getting a little bit better from the discipline stuff as well. Cause now you're reviewing who's throwing punches, who's choking, who's headbutting, who's taking dives. All those sorts of the little things are slowly, I think, starting to fall away from the game here in the United States and Canada. CONCACAF could learn a thing or two about that. But anyway, um, the other thing I do wonder with, with the excitement of the best of three uh, and how those teams were really going for it and how exciting it was, and then if you think back a few years back when the MLS went from uh, home and home, you were seeing the home team just of the, first, of, the, of the second game just playing for draws and then getting that home goal. Uh, it was really not an exciting game. It was like maybe the last 15, 20 minutes was all there was to watch. The league went to the home and uh, went to a single elimination and it was so much fun. And now they went to a round of three. And then now the conference semifinals were very, very kind of boring affairs. I wonder if they're going to tweak that again going forward. So something to keep an eye out and see if they can't make the game, these games a little bit more exciting. Um, and it's hard to compare to playoff games in other sports in the United States, right? Because in, in basketball, I mean, you're, there's dozens of dozens of scoring opportunities. 
throughout the game, if not hundreds of scoring opportunities throughout the game. So they can go for it in the NFL. You have so many different scenarios, um, you know, offense and defense, both the ability to score tempo, control, pace. There's so much different as there's so many different aspects to it. Playoff hockey is just a beast in and of itself. And you can't compare that to anything, but playoff soccer playoffs and MLS cup. It's so unique. I don't know if there's anything they can do to really get it to be exciting for a long stretch, you know, five, five, 10 year stretch of the same format with high excitement. But the one thing they can do is not schedule it during an international break. Anyway, with that soccer fans, I will let you go for the night. Please make sure you share the show, share the link, tell a friend. If you hated the show, tell your worst enemy, maybe they'll hate it as much and you can feel as good about sharing some of your misery. Hey, misery loves company, right? That's why we're all Chicago fire fans too. Um, rate review, subscribe. And as always, let's go fire.